Praise the Lord. So, we kind of left off last Wednesday with a little bit of uh, chapter 4 left over and all. And we'll just pick up those last two verses in Genesis chapter 4, 25 and 26. And then we're going to tackle chapter 5. But um, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. And then men began to call in the name of the Lord. Um, Seth means appointed, or appointed mostly for, or entirely for compensation, is what the word Seth means. Eve believed God um, when he said that he would raise up a seed for her, from her, that would crush the head of the serpent. She had that faith. She believed God, a saving faith, that he would provide um, and accomplish what he said he would in the garden. And um, this starts the genealogies, beginning with Adam and uh, Seth, Cain and Abel. Abel was killed. Cain had his genealogy. We kind of went through that a little bit, or his, his line uh, back in chapter 4. But um, the records of descendants. But that's really not as important as the faith in God, that he's going to keep the promise, that faith that Eve had, and that she would name now Seth the appointed one to compensate because Cain killed Abel. And so, in fact, many at this point kind of start to stumble, or some, I should say, at genealogies, even beginning here, going back and trying to fit something in or take something out just in order to fit some other doctrine that they're working on, um, how many years were in between these. Um, uh, but the most important thing, um, you know, God does in, appoint different blessings and prophecies to some lines and some descendants, but the most important thing is the Messiah, is the seed. The seed for promise to Eve and to us, really. And uh, he would fulfill that prophecy. Otherwise, he's not who he says he is. And we'll talk about that quite a bit, uh, who he claims to be. This is what's important for us, putting our faith and hope in God to do all that he said he would do. If you want to turn to First Timothy, it's important to focus on what's important. And a lot of, like I say, a lot of people get hung up on genealogies and... Uh, but what's most important is what God said he was going to do. And so 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4, Paul is talking to Timothy about that type of problem. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. The importance of doctrine over chasing fables and genealogies, hearsay and ideas. I mean, people try and print ideas over Scripture to make their, to try and maybe predict the future. There's plenty of prophecy that we can see is coming right down the pike right now, but some people try to overlay 
things of their own liking and fit things in that would uh, fit their particular doctrine. And um, it takes away from the most important thing. You know, um, it, doctrine is what's important. Um, we're given these descendants of Cain and now Adam and Seth. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get into Noah and his descendants and uh, the flood. And then after that, the Tower of Babel and the scattering of the nations. And then uh, on down to, to uh, after Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then on down to um, Terah, Abraham's father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then on down to the tribes of Israel. There's plenty of it, genealogies. You can go through the book of Kings and all the, the lists of men and uh, women that were in the genealogies. And, and it does apply to the seed. It does apply to the Messiah. And that is in uh, Matthew, but, um, or Luke, I should say, the genealogy of Jesus, and it goes back. But Paul says to Timothy, it's not for disputes. It's for godly edification, that is by faith. In the next few verses, 5 down to 11, he says, Now for the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, for a good conscience, from a sincere faith, from which some have strayed and turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy, the profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers and manslayers, and fornicators and sodomites, for kidnappers and liars, perjurers, and if there's any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. The motive that these guys have, they want to be teachers. They want to be teachers of the law. Um, he says our motive should be love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And there's not going to be a lot of idle talk. There's not going to be a lot of fables if your motive is love. I mean, why would you bring your brother or sister or your family into some kind of, you know, um, mysterious you know, fable we're going to try and chase down? I'm, maybe there's a promise of some kind of money or something. I don't know. But, you know, why would we do that to our brothers and sisters? That's not love. And if we have a good conscience and a pure heart, there's no need. What a waste of time to go chasing down idols and fables. And, um, you know, not try to bring believers back under the law. They want to be teachers of the law. Some will say to you, you know, that uh, your descendants, your ancestors, um, and who your eth- or what your ethnicity is defines who you are. Well, and what your identity is. But for the true believer, there is no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no uh, slave or free male or female, but we're all one in Christ Jesus, and that's Galatians 3, 28. You know, there's, certainly there's still God-given differences between men and women, you know, praise the Lord, we're all grateful for that, but the context of this passage is those that are trying to bring people under the law and use genealogies or race or ethnicity or status or gender to try and bring any, to bring others under the law, that's what Paul is saying. You know, instead of love, instead of that uh, grace we would have for one another, edifying and building one another up. 
Jesus said, whoever would leave father, mother, brother, sister, and so on will receive a hundredfold in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. And, you know, that's our brothers, that's our sisters, that's our genealogy and our ancestry is the Lord. And uh, we're his children. But before we get into chapter 5, it says, Then men began, began to call on the name of the Lord. Some believe this means that men would start to use the Lord's name in vain or to get into idolatry, calling themselves God or calling themselves by God's name, um, you know, uh, seeing themselves as gods. Enosh or Enos uh, simply means man. Others believe that men sought the Lord, simply called in the name of the Lord, just like it says. And in those days, men began to call on the Lord. I I'm sure there's, you know, Hebrew scholars that'll dig deep down. I've seen a little bit on scratch the surface of it. I didn't really dig too deep on that. But either way, um, the account of creation and the garden and the fall of man was told by Adam and Eve to their kids and grandkids and greats and on down the line. And with that, the promise of the seed. Again, it was about the Messiah. So there were likely to be some that would seek after God. That tends to fit with what it simply says. But either way, after you know 1,500 years, and Adam had already been dead for 600 years, it says in the first, chap- first couple of verses of uh, Genesis 6 that the thoughts of the heart of mankind was evil and continually, was only evil and continually. And so the... Uh, whether or not there was uh, men calling on the Lord and seeking the Lord after a number of, well, almost 2,000 years um, after the garden, well, the Lord only found Noah, who found grace in his eyes, and the rest had all gone astray. And so there's really no distinction between Seth or Cain when it comes to ending up that the the ones, uh, which ones were calling on the name of the Lord in the beginning or which ones in the end were continually having evil thoughts, only evil thoughts. That's Genesis 6, verse 5. And Adam and Eve went on to have many more sons and daughters anyway. So getting back to Genesis, let's look at chapter 5. I'm going to read through the whole bit, and then we'll come back and see if there's something for us. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And he created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness and after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, Seth, the days of Adam were uh, 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years, and he had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years, and he begot Mahalalel. And after he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 800 
and 40 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived three, uh, 30 years and started a jewelry store out by the mall. And oh, I'm sorry. Everybody got that. Wow. And I looked it up. If somebody's watching in like Nova Scotia, there's Jared's all over the whole. Anyway, so Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. He called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You'll see this backwards from these, just this chapter you'll see in, in Luke 3, uh, 31 through 38, for the lineage of the Messiah, for the lineage of that seed going back through this exact same list. Uh, all the names are the same. Uh, there might be a different spelling or a different way, it's, uh, but it's the same person. Verse 3, notice it says that he begot uh, Seth, and it was in his own image, Adam's own image. The word, uh, and likeness, the word image is salem, the word likeness is demut, and the same, exact same words when God made Adam in his own image and likeness. And says not only Adam, but them. It says God made Adam and Eve, made them in his own likeness, in his own image. In Genesis 9, verse 6, maybe just a couple pages, one page, um, there's a commandment um, begins to be uh, established right off the bat after the flood. It says, whoever sheds man's blood by man's blood shall, be, uh, by his blood shall be shed. For the image of God, or in the image of God, he made man. And so it's it's same as all men made in the image of God, and women made in the image of God. So notice now the ages of the antediluvians, they call them, the guys who lived before the flood. If they want to put up this uh, chart, we have something I want to... I found just interesting, in fact, before I even knew that anybody else had done this years ago, I went into a spreadsheet, and I'm sitting there, We, you know, this is back in the 90s, I guess, or whenever we first got our first computers, like 
91 or something like that. But they had these spreadsheets, and I thought, well, there's stuff I can do with that. And so I built this spreadsheet. This is different. This is a good one. from. Uh, this is actually from, I believe, Tommy Ice has a book, um, and there's many charts and uh, timelines. It's well worth having because it helps you uh, sort out a lot of things with the kings and so forth. But uh, notice, first of all, as we read through it, most of these guys lived 900 years or more. Um, the first thing I noticed when I did that was the overlap and kind of why I did it because I'm thinking, how did this story of Adam and Eve and creation get to Moses? Because Moses was the first one that wrote the book of the law. And so I was curious and as a young believer, and I, I put that all together, but notice the overlap of the lives. Now, they didn't have TV or radio, so they would get together as a family. They would tell stories and give testimonies. They would account just how things happened. If you look at Adam's life and, and uh, when he died was uh, about 930 um, or 930 years after he was born, look at all the years that his life overlapped by the hundreds all the way down to Methuselah was, uh, you know, a couple hundred, well, a little less than 200 years that they spent together. You know, these, these guys would hang around together. The world was populating, and there were, you know, descendants from Cain and other descendants from other children from Adam and Eve. But the, the one to the next generation, just like you hang around, and you know where your grandparents live, and maybe your great-grandparents and, or your grandkids and great-grandkids. And so they hang around. They listen. And back then, nobody was watching TV or telling, you know, or or listen to the radio, they were talking to each other, telling how the things went. And Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. He had the first created man's perfect DNA before the fall. And after the fall, there wasn't a lot of compromise to it, as over the centuries now, obviously. But, um, so, and he was very intelligent. He was created in God's image. He was uh, obviously able to communicate and pass down these things. The account of what happened in the garden to each one of these guys so that it wouldn't have any inaccuracy as they would pass it down. And if you look at the overlap of the lives, it goes down to Lamech, Lamech and Methuselah. Now they both died in the flood, but before they died in the flood, Moah and Noah and Shem spent how many years with these guys? First of all, if you look at Noah, he spent years starting with Enosh. Their lives overlapped almost 100 years. And so they'd be telling the same story directly, only one, one generation or one person off of Noah. And you, know, you kind of get what I'm saying, right? And Shem, look at how many years he spent with Methuselah and Lamech and Noah to get the story correct. And then after the flood, I think there's another chart. So look how many years overlap Noah's life. We're going to look at the post-flood chart. There it is. After the flood... Noah and Shem, who had spent all that time with all those other guys that knew Adam and heard the story correctly because it was bore witness after a couple of testimonies, lived Noah and Shem lived all the way to uh, 2006 years from creation, all the way to the point where Terah was born and spent a couple hundred years with Noah and his whole life with Shem. And he passed on to Abraham. And so the account of what happened in the garden and creation and all through these years 
would have been pretty accurate, just handing it down, the tradition of the fathers. Um, do you think that, you know, a count could really get compromised too much when you have that many guys trying to say exactly what it was? I mean, you know how people get together and they would say, you know, well, I remember it this way. Well, there's, there's so many testimonies here and all of them listen to what Adam said. It's a, it's a testimony. There's a thing called the oral tradition. And uh, it's funny because I've heard of it, but I never really looked into it. So I Google oral tradition, and amazingly enough, one of the first things that comes up is Heim Richman, who you know, we knew over in Israel. We went and visited uh, Israel a couple times. And Heim is the um, uh, main guy at the temple, or at least he was, at the Temple Institute, where they're actually having things ready so that if they build the temple, they're ready to go. And uh, he's, been, he's got online tutorials. He's Jewish. He's not a Christian. He's not a believer in, in Jesus Christ. But he is um, fulfilling prophecy. He's right in the thick of what the Lord's doing to bring Israel back. And, and uh, you know, you can pray for guys like that because, you know, until the Lord shows up, things are going to go real rough as you study through uh, the tribulation. But... Um, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and Jesus in Matthew 18 says that uh, anything that's said, any matter, it has to do in the context of somebody bringing an accusation, but it must have a witness of two or three, or you just don't listen to it. If somebody comes up to somebody and has an accusation, this guy did this and that and the other thing, and there's no witnesses, you really can't come down on one side or the other. And... Um, it's important to have some kind of evidence. And uh, one witness is good uh, for maybe some things if there's enough other evidence these days in a court of law. But when it comes to the things of the Lord or it comes to bringing an accusation against a brother, you know, there has to be two or three witnesses, it says. That's kind of an established thing. And that's these witnesses I'm talking about with, with these genealogies, or, or I should say with the account of what happened, not the genealogies at all. But um, anyway... You know, this is this is six thousand years ago, and forward thousands of years, and um, that's one thing. But there's another more significant thing. If you want to turn to Matthew five, because you know we can't. Maybe there's a little compromise or a little corruption in the message. You know, you get in a circle of ten people and you tell somebody a secret and pass it around. By the time it gets over to you, it's totally different because, you know, people don't remember word for word or there's just people playing and trying to change it as much as they can like I did. But um, otherwise, you you know, there's bound to be a little maybe change in the story. Um, but what's important, Jesus said in Matthew eighteen, Matthew 5, 18, it says, For assuredly I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. That's the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. And you've heard this before, but think about it. Um, if the word of God will be fulfilled, according to Jesus, to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T, well then, what we have in our hands has to be what he would make sure we have, so it can fulfill what he said it would, would do. From the testimony of Adam through the ancients, by Moses, by the prophets, by the scribes, by the oral tradition, 
um, preaching of angels at the end, you know, when, when the, we've been raptured and the Lord sends angels out across the, the earth to preach the gospel. Luke 1.7 says, God spoke by the mouth, uh, 1 verse 70, God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. God spoke this. If it's true for prophecies concerning the Messiah and the Torah and the prophets, well, then it must also be true of the testimony of the apostles and the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you want to turn to 1 Peter, because my faith doesn't necessarily rest on whether or not men did what they were supposed to do when they were writing this Bible down. My faith rests on the Holy Spirit inspiring these guys and keeping his promise because he expects us to know that he will do what he said he was going to do to the crossing of the I and the dotting of the T. It's, it's his responsibility to make sure we have in our hands his word. And we can talk about that in translations these days. And, you know, I think it's obvious to all that you can, maybe the King James is a little tougher to do, a read and all sometimes, but then you've got the new King James, it's a little easier, the NASB. But you start getting into the serendipity Bible or the neutral gender Bible or the, you know, whatever book you need to add, like the Book of Mormon or the Watchtower to make the Bible make sense more. You know, that's when you start getting into trouble. But First Peter 1, 16 through 21, he says, no, is that where I'm at? First Peter 1, 16 to 21. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I wonder if it's supposed to be Second Peter. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were, yes, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct, received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as a lamb, without blemish, without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So here's Peter. Peter's a witness. By whose will do we have the word? What does it say? By God's will. It's by his will that we have the word. In First John, just a couple of pages, uh, maybe five pages over to the right, First John one verses one through four there's a witness there's a testimony that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life the life was manifest and we have seen and we bear witness and we declare to you that eternal life which was with the father in heaven in all eternity and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And in these things we write to you that your joy may be full. You know, Peter and John and uh, James were up on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord. And those three have a testimony and a witness of what they saw take place up there. And uh, it's they know that it was the Lord. It's a testimony. Um, we have fragments. We have parchments. We have got early copies like the Dead Sea Scrolls, but they're just copies. Um, 
it's got to be God who we trust to bring us this word, to keep it to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T, so that he would fulfill all that he said he would, and that we can trust it as accurate to the letter uh, as it need be, so he can fulfill it to the letter. As we started in Genesis, you know, if you believe and trust Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then the rest of the Bible should be no problem. Is it really a problem for him to do that, to keep his word for us? Because many are going to challenge that. You know, we have nothing else. It's like people would ask you, what do you believe? What do you think? What's your opinion? Who cares? What's the Bible say? You know, it's the most important thing for us to know and to understand. Because you can get in all kinds of arguments and people tear you to stretch if you're going on your feelings or if you're going on your experiences or something you heard. But if you can just tell them, this is what the Bible says, this is what Jesus said in context without taking it you know, piecemeal, you know, that's going to be the testimony. If they persecute you for that, well, praise the Lord, you suffer for his name's sake. Better that than for you to make up some kind of story and have it fall apart and then they laugh at you for that. Because that's you. Then that's, that's you, not the Lord, not his word. So, getting back to Genesis, the names. Um, Adam means man. Seth means compensation or appointed for that compensation. Enosh, the word means mortal, uh, man. It just means man that's feeble, frail, or mortal. Canaan means a possession, but a grip on you that's sorrowful, sorrowful kind of thing. Uh, So you can say really the name Canaan just simply means sorrowful. It's got you in its possession. Mahalalel means praise of God or the blessed God. Jared means descent or would come down, would come down from as a descent. Enoch means dedicated. Or teaching. Um, Methuselah, man of the dart, is what it literally means, but it says his death shall bring. Lamech is the word powerful, but in a power that's despairing, the despairing one. And Noah, remember what it says? It says because he'll bring rest. So Noah means rest and comfort. If you guys want to put up that last slide, I remember hearing this a long time ago, and it is significant because, you know, the, the Jewish scribes and scholars will take, in fact, I think, I think Chuck Missler said this a long time ago, I remember hearing him say something. They, they go to the point where they don't even just interpret only the letters and all of that. They interpret the spaces between the letters, whatever that means. But so much so that they have such a reverence for the, for the Lord and for his word. Um, but if you take that all together, the, that genealogy in Genesis chapter 5 and read it in English like a sentence, it says, Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. In that list of names. Isn't it? If you haven't seen that before, um, but it's a... It's the gospel in the, in the descendant named one after the other. And you know, the, the naming of a person is the authority over them. 
if you, if you can give somebody a name, we give each other nicknames all the time. It's not like you're exercising any authority, but a mother and a father, when they name that child, that's their name. It's because the mother and the father have the authority. And it was Eve that named Seth. And, and uh, many throughout, sometimes it was the mother, sometimes it was the, the father. And so the mother and the father having authority over their kids. But isn't that something? The gospel, in the, just simply in the names, if you haven't seen that before. Um, Enoch begot Methuselah. Now Enoch is a character back in uh, Hebrews 11. It says he walked with God for 300 years and was not, for God took him back in Genesis. If you want to flip to Hebrews 11, we're going to look at 1 through 6. And again, we're here back in Hebrews 11. Whenever you find a name in the Hall of Faith, there's a good reason for it. Um, we talked about David here, and talked about Abel here. We even talked about Cain as juxtaposed. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. and By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, he still speaks, and we we were there a week or so back. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, first of all, must believe that he is, and also that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's interesting. How do you walk with God for 300 years if it's some kind of religion? I mean, I mean, we know we're not going to live 300 years, but just think in time and terms. Um, if it's not a pleasant thing, you know, to be pleasing to the Lord and to have that kind of faith to walk with God, um, after they got kicked out of the garden and they moved eastward, you know, the Lord spoke to people, but they didn't walk like they did in the garden anymore. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. And they spoke with him. He had to hide from him because he heard him coming. Um, Adam and Eve were without sin. I'm sure they saw the face of God until the day they sinned. And they were then kicked out of the garden. But the descendants, I don't believe, saw God's face. In fact, later in the scriptures it says you cannot see God's face and live because he's holy and we're sinful. He can cover our sins. But until Jesus, and when Jesus came, they did see the face of God in Jesus um, because he made him white as snow. No more sin. And uh, made us white as snow. And so we will see God. And um, we will see his face. But walking for 300 years with the Lord by faith, you know, a pleasant thing, a joy to do, as opposed to some daunting religion or some exhausting rituals or some laws that nobody can keep anyway. You know, God took Enoch before the judgment. And that's kind of a picture of the rapture. In fact, I think it's a, it is a, a picture of the rapture where you know, some 600 years or so before uh, the flood, the Lord took Enoch home. And 
Jude verse 5, if you want to go there. If there's an application for us, when it comes to this fellow named Enoch, we'll just read 5 through 15. He says, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, uh, in a similar manner to these, have given themselves over to sexual immorality and have gone after strange flesh and are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, those, or likewise these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Now the example there is Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil. When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring an accusation, a reviling accusation against him, but said, Will the Lord rebuke you? But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally. Like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they fit this little pattern there. They've gone after the way of Cain, run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And these are spots. These are in your love feast. He's talking about these, these apostates that are in their fellowship in the New Testament church. They're spots at your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. But now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, if there's an application for us about Enoch, what is it? Some wonder why we're so careful around here to point out false teaching. Um, So-called Christian books or movies or TV shows that contain false teaching about our Lord. Every book in the New Testament, except for Philemon, has warnings um, about deceivers, false teachers, apostates, um, those that have opposing doctrine, those that cause divisions, especially warning that they would be among the believers, seeking fellowship, but as wolves in sheep's clothing. Even among our fellowship, even among every believing fellowship, there will be those that try to creep in. It says they creep in. Creep means simply to, everybody knows what creep means, you slowly, basically work your way in. Slowly work their way in to gain your trust. And they hang out for a while, they blend in for a while, and say all the right stuff. But they're wolves. He says, how do you tell a sheep from a wolf um, that looks just like a sheep? By what they eat. The difference between a sheep and a wolf is by what they eat. Wolves eat sheep. (laughs) Um, Are they telling you to consume 
all the latest, greatest books and videos, uh, emergent, relevant, progressive, left-wing social justice, then they're probably a wolf. Are they bringing up opposing doctrines and, and all kinds of laws about genealogies? Then they're probably a wolf. Are they ready and waiting to trade the latest gossip and slander and accusations about your brothers or your sisters? Then they're probably a wolf. Are they, do they mix worldly wisdom, traditions of men, wisdom of man, with God's word? Wolves. They seek to draw you away from the word of God, draw you to themselves, and consume you like a wolf would. Wolves eat sheep. Notice that Jude says Enoch sees Cain as an example. You know, Enoch's saying there that, you know, look at Cain, the way of Cain as an example. Enoch would know, certainly have known about Cain. He was the seventh from Adam. But you know who else was seventh from Adam? Was Lamech. Lamech, the other Lamech from from Cain's descendants. Remember what Lamech did? You know, he, was, he kills two guys, and he's bragging about it, saying, mess with me, and the curse that would have been on Cain will be 77 times on you. And so he's, you know, and that wasn't the word of the Lord. I'm sure if somebody wanted to take out Lamech, they would have and wouldn't have had to pay a single dime for it, if you know what I mean. You know, uh, he sees Cain as an example. And, uh, you know, what does Enoch say? Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, all their ungodly deeds, all their ungodly way, and the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I guess finally, um, at the end of all this, you can see some mercy, some of God's mercy. Methuselah. They let, by naming him Methuselah, he let everybody know it's going to come when this guy dies. And he lived the longest of all of them. That's God's grace. That's mercy. When this guy dies, it's going to come. That judgment. Talking about uh, what Enoch prophesied. Um, God's grace. If you turn to Second Peter 3, 8 and 9. Enoch was the one that had these prophecies. Methuselah gets named, his death shall bring. And Noah is named rest and comfort. But Second Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering towards us and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, God desires all to come to repentance. The worst people we can think of, and I know so much of it, we can't help but watch the news. You can't even see the weather without getting political. And uh, you, you start to get some agita. I never knew what that word meant. Some animus or some, you know, what are these words? Towards these political leaders that are taking away our freedoms and that are funding the murder of unborn children and forcing us to send our tax dollars to things that we would never do. And uh, it's wickedness. It's evil. God wills that they would not perish but come to repentance. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers, no matter how wicked they are. And I'm not saying that we should vote for them by any stretch. 
And we still have to do what we have to do in this world, but shine light on them. I don't know what reprobate means for anybody else. I know that if there's a, what it would look like on me. And, uh, but some people, you just got to wonder how can, it would take a, only God could save such a one. But that was true about us too, wasn't it? You know, and, and so God desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. In verses 10 through 18, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and both earth and the works that are in will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in some of them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which under uh, untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, and they do also the rest of Scripture. But notice 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, what Enoch prophesied, thousand you know days uh, uh, is as a day, a thousand years is as a day to the Lord, but he will judge, and he will come with ten thousands of his saints. Since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. You know, the flood came when Methuselah died, and Enoch said, the day of the Lord will come, uh, as Enoch said, but the day of the Lord will come when the church is taken out. Um, if you know this beforehand, what's our part? Well, the first thing he says is beware. And that's what we're talking about. Watch out for false teaching. That's why we take the time to continue to correct if need be, uh, that sort of thing, or to, to be careful to teach so that false teaching can be exposed for what it is. Don't be led away with the error of the wicked. Don't go back into an ungodliness or to fall into sin. You know, and if you do, you know, turn to the Lord. But grow in the grace of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Remember how gracious he has been with you and show that same grace towards your brothers and sisters in the Lord. He says, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, that's what we're doing tonight. We're studying his word. We're growing in the knowledge of him. Who gets all the glory at the end? You know, well, God gets all the glory, right? We're kind of done early tonight. And uh, let's pray. Um, but maybe uh, if you've got kids in the back, hang out in fellowship for 10 minutes so that they can kind of finish their, their deal there. Uh, thank you for your word, Lord, and we do truly desire to uh, just walk uprightly 
just walk with you like Enoch did. And Father, because it's pleasant, because you're so pleasant, when we, when we know you and we're not just being deceived about you or misled and we just know how much you love us, Father, we just ask that you would be working that into our lives. Um, and you will get all the glory, Father. There's not a good thing that's going to happen here or anywhere that you don't get the glory for in our lives. And so we just pray that you'd be working that and that your word would go forth and not return void. And uh, we just lift this whole night up to you, in Jesus' name. Amen.